Hey, good evening. Great night. Good to have you guys. And let's see, good to have, uh, let's see, Ryan and his family. Uh, Ryan uh, Heider, right? H-E-I-D-E-R is how you spell that. Did I get that right? H-E-I-D-E-R. H-A-I. Okay, should know that. It's on Facebook. I should know that, right? Anyway, you want to introduce your family there, Ryan? Very good. Glad to have you guys. Glad to have you. Special privilege. Anyway, we uh, we are in Genesis, and uh, of course, Penny asked, we're going to do ten verses. And, uh, of course, I guess we're dreaming when we put that on there. We didn't even finish last week's study, and, of course, we are going to pick up on that. I think we were at verse 10, I believe, right? Maybe verse 11. Verse 10, verse 11. Uh, So, but, uh, first of all, turn to Psalm. Psalm 8. We're going to be studying Genesis, so everybody turn to Psalm. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so you're one of those. No. <laughs> You'll do fine. Uh, in Psalm eight. Psalm eight, right? You have it on your outlines, but uh, when we get through with the first part here, we won't be using that outline at first because we'll be going back to what we did last week. But just to start this off with, um, by the way, it says three and four, but I can't, I can't stop uh, or start there. We've got to start at verse one. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. I'm going to read the whole psalm. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Oh, you could sing that one, couldn't you? Matter of fact, somebody has. How excellent is this great God? And you have creation there, starting in verse, uh, well, verse 3 and 4, and talking about, well, in verse 1, the glory above the heavens. And what an incredible God we have. Now, just, just a moment. I, I want us to just, just think for a second about how great God is and His power. God is so powerful. Okay, He created all the the bodies in the heavens. You can think of the stellar and the constellations and all of that deal with that, all the bodies there. And when when you think of that, it's incredible. And you go out at night and you see that in natural. That's uh, the revelation of nature. Um, of course, we have the Word of God, which is even more so that uh, shows the details of what God is all about. But if you would uh, consider a beam of light that comes from the sun, let's say, um, goes at what? 186,000 miles a second? Pretty fast. And um, let's say uh, that would be over the course of years, 6 trillion miles a year. Um, 
And let's just take it back to this morning. I'm sure you all get up by 6 o'clock, right? I know I don't, but some of you probably do. Most of you probably do. Um, I can't imagine that. But let's say by 6.08, that beam has already passed to the earth, right? Eight minutes to get to the earth. Uh, toward Now, what we're going to do is go towards the edge of the solar system. And um, let's say you sit down and you have your morning coffee, and by about 6.41 a.m., there's a light beam that's already that you have seen that started from the sun. It's now gone past Jupiter, and it's moving on. And uh, at 11.12, now you're starting to get a little bit hungry. You know, it's getting close to noon hour. Um, it's passing Pluto. That's how far it's gone. I mean, this thing's moving on. I feel like Louis Giglio all of a sudden. I could use his DVD or something. I'm sorry. Now, look ahead and, and go all the way to the end of the week. Let's, let's take it up to Saturday, okay? You have a beam of light, and it's trying to leave our solar system by that time. And by the time we have, let's say, elections uh, next year, 2012, um, that beam of light has only reached the nearest star besides the sun as it's going away, going out there. And it keeps on going. And let's say about eight years later... Um, this little light beam that we were looking at uh, has 20 stars behind it now. It's, it's, it's just moving on. And if it were to look at the sun, if you were to look at the sun from where it is, it would be just a little light yellow speck, and it's disappearing into the darkness. And so it, it keeps on going, and it goes out to the next con- uh, constellation, Sagittarius uh, constellation there. And now it's headed for the center of the Milky Way. That's our galaxy, right? Okay, it's moving on, but it's now just gone to the, around the center. Now it has to travel. Here's where the numbers get uh, astronomical. Uh, 32,000 years before it will reach the center of the galaxy, honestly. That's, that's where we're heading. That's 6 trillion miles a year. It still has another 50,000 years to go to the other side of the Milky Way, which is our galaxy. We haven't even gotten out of the galaxy yet. And so it's going to leave behind 100 billion stars. Remember God told Abram to look up in the sky and count the stars, right? (laughs) Now, okay, remember, the Milky Way is really only an average-sized galaxy. Not really huge, right? And as far as we know, there are supposed to be, and how do we know these? There's supposed to be at least 50 billion, not stars, but what? Galaxies. Okay, now we're stretching this way out, at least in the known universe. (coughs) This is what we know, anyway. We don't know too much. Now, our little light beam, still traveling, and now it's going to travel another 80,000 years at 6 trillion miles a year to reach this closest galaxy. Uh, that's uh, or a series of galaxies next to the Milky Way. Now we this thing started this morning, and now we're out there 160,000 years into the future, <laughs> and this thing is still traveling, uh, going 186,000 miles a second, and it faces almost two million years of empty space. Empty. Two million years of empty space before it reaches the Andromeda galaxy. Sounds like Star Wars or something, doesn't it? Uh, that's close enough to the uh, to the Earth to be seen with the naked eye. All right. 
Okay. Um, now, if our if our light beam keeps going out, uh, it's going to travel, let's say, a couple more million years, and then it's going to uh, encounter open space, and the the beam keeps going. Twenty billions uh, years later, it's going to reach the edge of the known universe that we know. Twenty billion years later, what is a billion? What is, what is a million years? So that if we know that over 20 billion years of travel with about 50 billion, did I say galaxies while ago? Wow, okay. Uh, this just keeps going on, doesn't it? It's not infinite. Boy, it seems infinite to me almost. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what's happening here? What, what what's going on? What, why are we why are we why are we even doing this? Um, Job even said, "Behold, these are the fringes of his, of his ways." And how faint a word we hear of him! I think it's staggering. I think it's incredible. This this is our God. This is our Creator God that we know personally that made this. And we saw in the, the first verse, He's the one that created all this and all the all the space. Now, he made the stars, and they have his fingerprint on them, and it's like he knows their names. We're talking galaxies, 50 billion galaxies. How can? And then people ask, well, how can such distant light reach the Earth so fast in a six-day creation? And so, therefore, we would have to be billions of years old, they would say. But if God creates the light, and He wants the light to be uh, automatically there whether it takes it that long or not the thing is it's there and if that be the case God can do that instantaneously can he not if he can make the light why can't he make it to be there and put it where he wants so anyway the speed of light possibly uh, some people say at that time if you wanted to take it scientifically what some people are coming down with now would say that it would take it would be possibly 10 billion times faster than it is now. Right. Have you ever heard of that? If, and if that be the case, if those people want to press the billions of years for uh, each day or what have you, because it would take that much time for the light to get here, uh, they're, they're taking it at the speed of light is the same now as it was then. Exactly. But the only thing is, there was a fall that happened, the fall of man. And uh, if here's what they've come up with, um, and it's getting slower all along. If you push it back six or th- uh, six to seven thousand years ago, I'm not naming a date here, but I'm just saying, if you push it back six to seven thousand years, it would be ten, ten billion times faster, which is what they're they're saying there. So we're talking a 24-hour literal day, any way that we look at it. And so it's kind of interesting. We're looking at massive galaxies. We're looking at complexities here. We're looking at the God who made this, and they're like His fingerprints. They're like He has His personal name on them, and uh, He he cares about that. I think it's just puts you in, in a praise of thanking God for letting us in on this. What is man that you are mindful of him? And yet he calls us friends. He calls us sons and daughters. Incredible. Let's have a word for us. Father, we thank you. We uh, examine your word that you have given us.
direct revelation that you gave to the writers, the, the apostles, and now we can look at this and know that it's something that you have revealed to us, that we can understand some things of the mind of God, and uh, we ask tonight that you would sharpen our minds to recognize how great you are. We want to put you on display uh, in a way that would bring glory and we know the heavens are declaring your glory every night, every day. And it all is done because of you. And so as we uh, enter into your word, something that was uh, written is so precious, we pray that your Holy Spirit will uh, lead us into what your truth is so we can have a better view of you. And that, in turn, will change our lives every day. In your Son's name, Amen. We uh, are going to back up a little bit instead of that one outline that I gave you tonight. I don't know how many of you have uh, last week's, but we'll finish that one up. Lord willing, (laughs) we were on the third day. There's a group called that, right? Third day. We're still on the third day. Um, Day one, there were three, well, there's been three separations in the first three days. First three days are very foundational because as each day that you see that's written here is marked with a significant division. There's a separation on each day. Day one, you have the light that is divided from the darkness. Day two, you have the firmament that is uh, that uh, the waters are divided and you have the ones on the lower and then the, the upper. Uh, and then day three, you have the uh, the land that is separated from the water. The land comes up out and over the water and extends there. And then you have your what we know as continents. The land is actually there. When it was one ball, one mass, the water was all there. God divides the water. Then out of that water comes the land, and that's immediately dry. Uh, it says dry land. God can do that. Now, what it is, it's prepared for life. That's what he's doing. He's taking this one day at a time and uh, he's uh, devising it. It was once formless and void uh, and he takes shape to that. He took uh, and made it almost like a finished look now and it's now ready for life. And so on that same day, on that third day that we were looking at it, he says in verse 11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good so the evening and the morning were the third day. So that's that's where we left off. We didn't get into that section. We'll start it right there in, in verse 11. First thing you see is what? It's great. It's like, thus saith the Lord. Then God said. And you've seen that before. You've seen it in uh, verse 3. Uh, see it in verse 6. See it in verse 9. Then God said. God spoke. And and it happens. And so he says, Let the earth bring forth grass. 
Um, the word grass there, and we don't have to be dogmatic about it, but the Hebrew word actually is a, a general term for vegetation. So you could read that as let, uh, uh, let the earth bring forth vegetation. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, we think of the grass like a bush stadium. You know, I'm sure it was greener than that. You know, perfect grass, but that, that is part of it. I think it's a general sense where you have the vegetation that's divided into two parts, which is the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit. So the vegetation has two parts, the plants and the trees. Like I say, you don't have to be dogmatic. Uh, there's very good uh, commentators that would say, okay, you have three parts here. You have the grass and you have the uh, plants and you have the trees. No big deal. It still means the same thing. Um, um, the word for um, plants is eseb and ets for trees, and that's that's the idea. You have you have everything you needed there: vegetation, you have the plants and the trees. What's interesting is that the um, the vegetation is capable of doing what? Reproducing itself. Aha! That's the key. It reproduces itself. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That's the next thing we want to go at. It's it's mature. It's fully formed. It it doesn't start with the seed, but it actually starts with the plant that has the seeds. So that's why we can say which came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah, this is chicken. Yeah. Right. So is the is the cup half empty or half full? It's overflowing. There you go. Right? There you go. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. All right. Don't ask me tough questions that I can't answer. Something. <laughs> very good. Very good. That's good insight because that's the whole point of this. Uh, he made full grown, fully mature vegetation with seed in it that it could be what? Dispersed all over. Boy, who else could have ever thought of something like that? You know, you, you make this and you go, what are we going to do now? You know, But no, it has to keep reproducing itself. And I think it's one of the greatest wonders of the world. It's incredible. When you study what science brings forth as far as seed dispersal, and at first that sounds, that sounds boring. But if you looked at Carmela back there, who really gets into creation, I bet you you have studied seed dispersal, haven't you? What have you found out? <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Or you've watched dozens and dozens of videos, and the more you see something like that, you see the glory of God, and it yeah, it's mind-boggling. It's just every time you get a handle on something, and then something else even goes beyond that. It just keeps on going further. That's why I did that little deal with space. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the way I was going to close it is come back and then go to the smallness. <laughs> it goes to the, the smallest thing we can even think of. But it's astonishing to see how God designed seed to be dispersed. And of course, you think of birds in your own yards. And I saw uh, these bricks uh, that I uh, have laid in the ground to, you know, to walk on. And yesterday, it looked like somebody came along and tried to paint them. It was, the birds have been going crazy around there. Yeah. We have a lot of, um, let's say, apples and wild plums and things like that. And they have a lot of stuff to eat around there. And if you feed them, 
you even get more of displays uh, of the bird and that. <laughs> I don't know why they did it on the blocks, because I don't know how the seed's going to be dispersed there, but birds do that. They attempt it on your car and, and on your head, as we talked about last week. That's uh, pre-fertilized seed dispersal. And that's really efficient. And we will stop there. But uh, one of the one of the wonderful works of the seed dispersal is wind. Wind is incredible. It's uh, that's one of the best ways that God can use seed dispersal, and it's a science. It's phenomenal. Uh, well, I wish we could just sit here and watch these videos. Well, we'd never get out of Genesis. It, they, they just keep making more of these good videos, right? <laughs> um, plants were made then by God, not of seeds. Full-grown plants. People always wonder about that, the ones who want to take the day-age thing and they have trouble and, and it has to, well, it, it couldn't have been like that and it, it had to take years to be able to grow. You know, they'll take the, the, the tree, for instance, and the, the circles that are in it and see it's only been here like five years. You can count the rings. Well, that's true. They said, well, uh, uh, so it must have been years for them to be able to get big. And Anyway, it, they were made mature, obviously. You know, just from this account here, when man was created... He wasn't created as a, as an infant. He was created as a mature man. And that's the same way that light got here. It was like a mature light <laughs> that got here already. Um, but a full-grown man, full-grown plants, full-grown trees, everything was created full-grown. What's another word that we have here? Okay, let the earth bring forth grass or, if you may, vegetation, um, yield seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its what? Kind. kind. Word there is a, is a key word. And it really means, it, it's kind of a category of organisms that are related. They're capable of breeding with one another. Okay, like, let's say... Um, an animal, uh, let's say a bear, is a bear going to breed with a with a bird or something? You know, when you have the the animals and the birds and the fish, we know that they cannot breed with them, right? And so the kind that we're talking about here is something that just totally debunks evolution. And for the ones who are uh, would want to take science over the truth of the Word of God because it would be an embarrassment to the rest of the community in the school that they're at. Therefore, they would embrace some things that you'd be running into and that they have to embrace evolution in some way. Theistic evolutionist, at least taking uh, at least time. It has to be a lot of time for each of these days. Um, billions of years, whatever. Um, Henry Morris uh, said, in each created organism, I'm going to read this for a moment, each created organism was a seed programmed to enable the continuing replication of that same organism. That's the way God um, programmed it. The modern understanding of the extreme complexities of the so-called DNA molecule and the genetic code contained in it has reinforced the biblical teaching of the stability of kinds. What science actually is doing is showing that Scripture was right all along. And they're discovering that science is a good thing. I'm all for science. Science means knowledge. Knowledge is coming from God. I want to know what all science is about. It's incredible. It just reveals 
what God has already done. We're discovering that. So I'm not against science. What I'm against is a pseudoscience that says something is a fact when they have not gone back and done scientific principles. It's like hermeneutics is dealing with interpretation of Scripture. You have to follow rules. Well, science says, okay, you have to go back and check something. If, um, uh, what is it, uh, a certain soap? is going to float in the water. What, what kind of soap was that? Ivory soap, right? Supposed to do that? Well, you put it in there once, and you go, oh, it floats. You could put it in there a second time and say, well, huh, doing the same thing it did before. You put another one in there, ivory soap, and that one's floating too. You say, well, ivory soap evidently floats. It's been proven. It's been examined. We've tested this out, and now it's not just a theory. It's a fact. And so, therefore, um, science in that sense is good. But you can't go back and um, prove these scientific, so-called scientific um, elements because it was done once. You can't repeat it. Uh, it's, it's been done. God did uh, His thing. But we do have proof of the Word that has been revealed to us. I think there's a tremendous, uh, tremendous amount of variational potential within each kind that's why you have so many different kinds of dogs, but they're still dogs, right? They all look different, act different, you know, but there's, a dog is a dog. And so, therefore, uh, it's not evolution, but it's operating within that kind. Uh, there can be many varieties in that kind, but uh, it's not evolution. Uh, it's, a, I guess you could say, a horizontal variation. Uh, is possible, but no vertical changes. Not where they you, you go up and uh, you you know you're from a smaller animal to a human or something like that. Uh, that doesn't work that way. Uh, organisms were designed by God to stay with their own kind. They always have. They always will. Um, the biggest thing we could say is birds. Birds remain birds. Uh, any kind of animal is going to remain an animal. Um, fish. They're going to remain as fish. A fish is a fish. But the evolutionary process says what? Fish comes out of the ocean, lands on there, and then what's it supposed to turn into then? I don't even know. What is it? A, a, a turtle? A, a lizard? About a lizard? And lizard turns into what? A, a dinosaur later or something? That's what I've always wondered. <laughs> the thing about Darwin is he wrote letters to people. He didn't just write you know, his theory or whatever, he would write letters to people and tell tell them that the whole reason why he was writing this theory was because he was running from God and that he himself doubted and knew nonsense. And he yep. wrote those things to people and it's been recorded and, and John MacArthur's the one who told me that. Wouldn't it wouldn't it be great if that could be revealed to everybody? But there again, we're, when we deal with truth <laughs> when it comes down to truth Obviously, the world doesn't want the truth. That's not what they're teaching. They're just teaching right. the old stuff. They don't right. Going to they're going to shove it down without any proof. You said, you know, that evolution can't be proven because it happened once. Well, that's not according to evolution. That's not even their own theory. It should be continuing to happen. Fish should still be crawling out of the water, becoming exactly. little lizards or whatever. If evolution, if it's evolution, it should be continuing to happen. Never Much been seen, has it? Still becoming people. Right. Drives you crazy, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's a good idea. They should be in the process. 
Right. Right. Yeah, the mule has been that's as far as it can go, isn't it? Should develop. You're right. Right. So then a donkey is something. I mean, if it could only go that far. But a donkey isn't going to mate with birds. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's the kind. Right. And so the theistic evolutionist, and and I have to be fair, there are some theistic evolutionists who are conservative elsewhere, and they don't believe in the evolution that. Um, you know the atheists would teach but they're talking long uh, ages for each day that's usually what some of those do like your Hugh Rosses Um, you know I I have to be fair I I don't agree with Hugh Ross but I I do know that he would be considered an evangelical in in most avenues but a lot of it's the the time thing so what do we have here you have the origin of all vegetable life right and you have not only its origin, but what else do you have? You have a, an order here, a continuity that is fixed right off uh, the bat. Uh, certain seeds, right? You have certain seeds and kinds, and that's going to continue on with the life. And you never see that a plant has evolved into something higher. You'll never see it. It's never been proven. You could probably see it on the Sci-Fi channel. <laughs> but um, anyway... I think when we think of that and we think of this whole deal, we have to say, this was good. This is really good. We have it all right here. And speaking of seed and speaking of kind, we have the answer. We have the answer. And it's not that we are more intelligent than all the people out in the world. There are many more people that have much higher IQs. But why is it that we can read this and just say, I believe it? Well... I think God has put it in our heart to do that. But we have an opportunity to share this with the rest of the world which doesn't go along with something we take as, this is easy. God did it. It's simple. But it's very complex, too. But, boy, what what good news we have. Boy, it is. Uh, let's take... Um, what do we have? Did we finish that section? More or less did. Uh, let's, go, let's go back in verse 12. And then the earth brought forth grass. So God said for that to happen, and then we see it happen. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind. So we have seed, kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. Boy, he made it very clear, didn't he? And God saw that it was good. Um, whenever he was putting together the earth earlier, um, was it verse 5? Now, verse 4, he called it good. What he had put together, let there be light. He said it's good. Now, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were that first day. Then he said, let there be a firmament. And he talked about that. And uh, there was the evening and the morning and was the second day. At that time, he didn't say it was good. It's not that it was bad, but it wasn't finished yet for life to come on in. And, of course, he does the dry land, and then it was like, at the end of that, God saw that it was good. It's now ready for life. It was uh, unfinished 
he had a work to do each day and uh, of course as he does this he doesn't expend any energy he just speaks and there it is out of nothing ex nihilo God does it by fiat there's no process no passage of time it's done instantly by his word alone his word is precious isn't it he literally spoke it into existence now that is the traditional way the church has taken that since We've had this revealed to us. And uh, look in Psalm 33. You get the psalm writer again. We uh, go to Psalms. We've been doing that week after week. There's a lot about creation all through Scripture, especially in Psalms. 33, verse 6. Look at this. By the Word of the Lord. Don't you like that? A Word of God. By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke it. Boom. And all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. There again. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. I love it. The Word of God. He commanded and it stood fast. This is our God. This is our Father. And man, He just like that. Boom. I mean, when you go see a movie and you, you go, wow, man, that's amazing. You've got you to see this. Or there's been some place you've seen, or Grand Canyon or whatever, some of his great creation. And, and you go, wow. But the one who did all this, you know, uh, that, that does amazing things, much more than the, the things that man makes, you know, whether it be some movie or even you know, something that happens in sports or whatever. Man, our Father has command of all this, and it was like, yeah, like that. Quicker than that. Quicker than I, I can do my my thumb. Huh? When God made this, nothing evolved. It was made. It didn't like He get it started. And okay, I'm going to put a seed here. That's supernatural. But now it's going to take a long time for that to develop up. There, there it is. There it is. He already did it. He spoke it into existence. It's complete, fully functioning, totally mature. God made it. The sun, the moon. They're also called into being to distinguish two periods of uh, day and night, and that's what we're getting ready to go into. Um, so God speaks. Uh, that's what He says. Verse 14. By the way, you see what's going on as we've talked about it before. So the evening and the morning were the third day. He keeps saying evening and morning. We have that progression. We have that pattern. We have... Um, day one, we have day two, we have day three, and we know that uh, uh, throughout all of Scripture, throughout all of the Old Testament, when you have a day along with a new a number or a numerical sequence, then in any other situation, it always has meant that that is a 24-hour day period. Uh, not uh, something that could be epics. So that is something to to keep in mind. Now, the first function that he does on each of these days is to what? To separate. Now, in order to separate one thing from another, in order to make this distinction, to make a mark here, then there have to be two things that already exist. <laughs> To divide them, right? They're already there. He has to divide them. He divided the waters, for instance. Um, now he's going to divide um, um, as far as um, 
a separation. You have darkness is already there. Um, it was in existence. Uh, light is already there because we look at verse 1 and um, we, we, I mean as far as the, was it verse, verse 3? Let there be light. Light came into existence and this affirms that a day existed without the sun, right? And um, the night existed without the moon, but yet God has that pattern already established and it's without the stars. This is what's going to happen on this particular day. And again, the sun is not the cause of daylight at that time. There's no sun that's been created. There have been three periods of daylight and three periods of dark already. You know, you think of the evening and you think of uh, the morning. And so God creates these bearers of light. Let's look at this. Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And here's what can trip us up. It says, okay, and and one thing is light. You say, wait a minute, he already created the light. What's he doing creating light again? And then we also see um, um, to divide the day from the night, right? Hmm. Well, he already said that, but now he's saying it here. What's, What's going on? Um, and we know that the sun, to us, brings us the light in the day. It's the sun that brings us the, the light at night because actually it uh, sends it to the moon, right? And the moon reflects. But the first purpose of these luminaries was to separate that day from the night. What he's actually doing, is, and, and I'll get into that. I'll get into that. Uh, I want to do the second phase deal. It's kind of interesting. If you've looked at it, on day one, um, there was what created? Right. Light. Okay. Over here, this is day one. Day two. Day three. And we're going to have day four. Day five. Day six. Light, first day. Fourth day, what do we have? Light or the, the luminaries, right? Day two, what do we have? What's happening there? Right. Being in the heavens, okay. And on day Five. Now we're, we're jumping ahead here, but I take it you've probably read Genesis somewhere along the line. What do you have there? The fish. And so when we think of the sea, right? Think of the fish and, and, and the birds, right? Fish and the birds, the heavens, right? Fish and the fowl, right? Fish and the birds. And day three, we have what? Earth. Day six, what do we have? Land creatures. Here we have the fish and the birds, day five. And the land animals, day six, which correlates with the earth. Here you have these over here. You've probably seen that. But uh, a lot of your commentators will talk about this. This is the second phase of God's creative work that we're uh, working into here. 
with the work of days 4, 5, and 6. Um, there's a guy by the name of Casuto, C-A-S-S-U-T-O, does a lot of work on creation things. He calls it the second phase of the six days of creation. Not very hard, right? But it's kind of interesting to see the parallelism that's involved there. While the three earlier days were marked by a series of separations, remember the separations? Those are really important. And that was to make the earth habitable. God knew exactly what he was doing, every little detail, as he's preparing it. The three latter days are going to be characterized by additions to make this process of the earth being beautiful in its great creation and in order uh, and, and in a way for animal life uh, to live and, and human, human life. Um, it, he didn't create us first. I think uh, somebody has said the reason that he didn't put us first or somewhere in the middle is because we would have taken credit for it. <laughs> we were last. Luminaries. Um, they're added to these uh, creation uh, part of the creation that he's already done. It's being prepared. Everything's being prepared for actually us and the rest of life. Uh, these light bearers are really important uh, when you think of what's in the heavens there, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Um, they give us clarity. They give us beauty. When you look up into the heavens, you know, and you see the the full moon. Is the full moon out tonight? Probably cloudy, isn't it? It, You can see it? Okay. Isn't that that great? You always love to see that, don't you? Uh, There's order there to the natural realm. You see that? You see a little bit of a a character of who God is, even in His creation. And what He's doing whenever He is creating this, He's making a, a fit home for the various forms of created life. And ultimately... It's for us, which is the crown of His creation. And He makes it a palace for us. The problem, though, is the fall is going to happen later, but still not a bad place compared to anywhere else. Okay, what about day one and the creation of light? Still don't get that. What was that original light? Well, it, we're, we're confronted with a mystery here. And in the light... There was already some. There was something shining before the formation of the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Okay, how could? Uh, okay, somebody's going to ask. Well, there's got to be photosynthesis, right? There's got to be photosynthesis for the plants. And here we have the sun that's going to be done after the plants, which is on the third day. Well, uh, no problem. No problem with that. Um, light was already there. And where there is light, there must be heat, possibly. Um, The required condition of plant life is that all that was already in existence. There already was light. Well, what's happening? Well, the stars are not creators of light. They're only bearers of light. They're light bearers. And that was there without them and before them. So God is light. And He alone creates light. And He had already spoken it into existence the very first day. The light is there. What He's doing, and Casuto said this, He crystallizes this light into the moving bodies on the fourth day. He puts the light into where it's going to come from then. John Calvin had a good term on it. 
God had before created the light, back on the first day, but He now institutes a new order in nature. This is something now newly instituted in nature. That the sun should be its dispenser of the daylight, and the moon and stars should shine by night. And then he goes and relates Moses to him, from, uh, who is the writer of this. Moses relates nothing else than God ordained certain instruments to diffuse through the earth by reciprocal changes. You like that? At light which had been previously created. It had already been there. Now he's transferring that and saying, okay, now it's going to work through these. These are my instruments that I'm going to have light come from. Calvin goes on to say, the only difference is this, that the light was before dispensed, but now proceeds from lucid bodies, which in serving this purpose, obey the command of God. It's that simple. There's no problem with the... um, as far as the day and, and the night, which he had already done, it says, well, it looks like he did it here again. What happened? There sounds like there's contradictions, but there's not. Um, long before there was any space travel that we, that we know about and all the science that's been, John Calvin knew the text of Scripture, and he had it right. He said the light existed, and it was at this point simply connected to these bodies makes the bodies, and now the light comes from them. Um, someone else said, what's that? I just, that last night I was there talking with them, that we went out and looked at the stars, and if the earth is, how the it is, 6,000 years old, whatever, 7,000 years old, that we were, we were actually beholding light last night that God set into motion the day of creation for me to see, like, right that second. He created the photons in motion that day. They were just now landing on, on our eyes last night. There's just something really worshipful to think about tonight. Beautiful. That's a worshipful moment. It is. You're beholding, like, in a sense, every time you look at the stars, you're, you're beholding a moment of creation. You did all the driving you can do thanks Ryan because that's what all this is about it's about worship in every moment we should be worshiping God it's not just Sunday it's not just Monday or whenever you meet with other people you're worshiping all day long there it is at night and it's always reflecting on the beauty and the greatness of God and oh the absolute sovereignty of God it's incredible the introduction of the sun and the stars, <laughs> really, they don't alter the definition of what God had already done. Uh, there's no changing of the rhythm. It's still what it was. You have evening and, and morning. Uh, the duration of the days, they don't change. Why would they change? He's already set it forth the way it is. And some will say, at this time is where it started now of a 24-hour day period. Walter Kaiser, who I... Highly respect. One of the greatest Old Testament theologians there is. Um, He was out of Trinity uh, Seminary um, for quite some time. I think he went on to Gordon-Conwell. I've admired his uh, books on Old Testament. He's a Jewish Christian uh, that's very sound. But um, he can't take these days as being literal days. And it's like... Why do you have so much trouble with that? And But he sees what's out in the scientific realm that they are so 
discovered that's supposed to, uh, I guess, really kind of push the Bible back. You interpret the Bible by science. That's what he's more or less saying. He wouldn't say that, but that's what has happened. And that's coming from a, a theologian that is highly respected, who is very conservative and very sound. Um, the alteration between day and night, no doubt, you know, the, the, the changes from day to night, they, they just continued. It just continued on doing what it had been doing for the three days. But now the heavenly bodies that He has created are providing the varying degrees of light that they're putting forth. So, we have the creation of light in verse 1. It identifies day and night, the evening and the morning, and the first solar 24-hour day. Uh, God established that. And, uh, of course, you know, the separation of day, and day from night, that's what we're talking about. We're not given any information how it happened. We'd like to really know. People come up with different ideas, but we're not given that here in Scripture. We can look over to Revelation 21, and I think it can be helpful. We can speculate, have some fun with it, but one of these days, if we really want to know, I'm sure he will tell us, but I don't think it's that much of a mystery. Uh, right at the end here, uh, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated the Lamb as its light. That's uh, the New Jerusalem. And you think of the ultimate uh, glorification. But uh, if God is going to do it there, why couldn't He have had that same light back at creation? And so it could very well come from Him. And we know in James where he says that He's the Father of lights, right? There's no changing about with Him. I mean, He is steady. Uh, So anyway... um, what about these two great lights? Well, we, we know what they are, right? Uh, sun and the moon. They're ruling and they're governing. Now, I kind of jumped ahead. I, uh, did we do verse 15? We're, we're talking, and I'm going to come back to the seasons, and we're not going to be able to do much more. But uh, let them be for signs and seasons for days. And I was going to get in, into that, the permanent signs is going to be the next one. The first one is the separation of day from night. That's one reason why um, this is done this way. Why he has these lights. He's separating the day from night. Uh, But then he gets into the signs, permanent signs, uh, just to pick up the ruling and governing, then I'm going to come right back to that. Um, The ruling and governing say, well, what what does that mean? Um, For one thing, they're up in the sky. They're above us. So you could say that in a figurative language. Uh, it's not a paganistic, uh, astrological, mythological type sign uh, that we're messing with here. You know, the newspapers have their astrology and such. Uh, but uh, the light oversees the earth as it's above and, and governs its passage. Um, also, and we'll get into this maybe tonight, maybe not tonight, but they control our life behavior patterns. So in, an, in one sense, they are ruling us because we design our the, uh, usually uh, the way that we sleep, uh, like at night. Now, some people work night jobs, but as a whole, you sleep at night and then you work during the day and, and, uh, and you think of... Um, 
a lot of other different situations. You have the, the, the days, nights, the months, and the years. Look how all that's uh, determined. The clocks and the calendars. and uh, So the celestial bodies do dominate our life and how they, they're, they're dictating when we work and when we rest and when we're awake and when we're asleep and even how we eat. eat, uh, eat. Um, hope you're not eating at 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Pretty close. <laughs> okay. Permanent signs. Oh, I'll go to Psalm 136. Go there to 136. I think this is pretty enlightening. Might be helpful. 136, uh, 5 through 9. To who? To him who by wisdom made the heavens. It's his wisdom. I would say so. For his mercy endures forever. Ooh. Hey, can you guys. Come back with that on that line. It's going to continue to that. I'll say to him who by wisdom made the heavens, to him who laid out the earth above the waters, to him who made great lights, the sun to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. Aren't you glad? I always thought it would be great if we just had daytime all the time. But then there wouldn't be any night. No, but there won't be any night. Later on. But with the way that our bodies are made now, we need that rest. And of course, He'll be shining then. But in in this status of the way that He made it to be, it's perfect. And uh, boy, I could get a lot more things done though if it's light all the time. Well, that's the thing. I wouldn't want to rest. It'd be hard to rest. I've heard that uh, people that worked the night shifts, they never do get used to it, or at least most don't. And um, uh, they really have a hard time sleeping in the day. I've tried to sleep in the day, and boy, it doesn't work very good. Headaches and everything else. Anyway. Need how God designed that. But anyway, he's talking about the, the two greater lights there and then the sun to rule by day and the moon and stars to rule by night. Great mercy, yours forever. Now, we have one minute. Let's do the permanent signs. <laughs> right, Dennis. Okay. Signs means uh, signals. Uh, we're back in Genesis, right? And we're at the end of verse 14. God had a reason for this for signs and seasons, for days and years. So one reason why He gave us the lights is for separation of day from night. Number two is that there would be permanent signs. They're markers. And they indicate times and seasons. They regulate. uh, They govern for human life. Now, the sun, what does it do? It determines our days. The moon determines uh, the months, right? The stars, the sun, the moon determine our seasons and years, right? Follow me there. They determine the clocks. They determine the calendars. And it's it's the celestial bodies, the heavenly bodies that really are determining all this. What a great thing God had in mind. Can you imagine what it would be if we were just on the linear... um, the horizontal or whatever, we just kept on going on in, I guess, in time, but at the same time, there would be no divisions. You wouldn't even think of a week. 
you wouldn't think of a day. You just it would just, everything would be the same. What about the seven day week? We're talking about uh, the days and the months, the seasons and the years. But wait a minute, you, you didn't talk here, Moses, about this seven day week. Well, yeah, he is. Exactly. Okay, the earth is rotating on its axis, right? And that determines what? A 24-hour day. Okay, now, the earth's rotation around the sun is going to determine what? The year. Or the moon going around the earth is going to determine what? The month. So we're getting all of that in, in there. Have you ever asked yourself, well, what about the week? Well, yeah, it's right here. There's nothing, though, in the celestial bodies that determines the week. And yet, all across the world, universally, all throughout time, and even today, uh, most people that I know are, uh, are determined by the seven-day week. Isn't that incredible? Don't the phases of the moon kind of indicate seven-day week? I would think so because you can, you know, it, it has as the what is what do you call that? It's the waning and waxing and yeah, yeah. If you really kept a close look at it, it's going to be pretty accurate, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do we get that? Well, it's all right here. That's why we can take that formation of the week. Wasn't that beautiful that God would design a week? How would you? How would you do time if you didn't have a week? Let's say, like we meet here on Mondays. How would you say, okay, listen, we're going to meet... Oh, well, we don't have a week. Come back next week. Well, you don't have a week. What do you do? How do you do that? (laughs) What do they do? Yeah. Well, that would be a good question to ask them, I think. Where does week come from? There's no other place that answers that but right here in our Scriptures, folks. God is so good. He's so good. And that's why His mercy endures forever. Isn't that beautiful? And we take all these for granted. You know, like, oh, day, month, week, year, you know, and another year goes by. But you think about that. God designed all that just perfectly. And that was the period of time, as far as the week is concerned, that that God created the universe. And then that's even used in the book of Exodus as He used that as a pattern. Uh, for eventually what? The Sabbath. Of course, God what rested on the seventh day. Beautiful, man. You know, his numbers, <laughs> they just work out perfectly. Hmm. Well, the third one is to give light on the earth. And we have had the sun set on us tonight, and so we're going to have to stop there. And um, But I like it. He said it, and it was so. <laughs> Listen, thank you guys for coming out tonight and uh, just going over a little bit of uh, something we've all read and heard many, many times. But as you look through it, it just uh, makes us worship our great Creator, doesn't it? Great God. Thank you for coming. And uh, Ryan, if you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'd like to ask you to do some prayer.